Welcome to ADHD Crash Course. This is a podcast for those of us who are learning about ADHD, whether you have just started that journey or whether you've been doing it for lots of years. My name is Danae Cannon. I'm your host. I'm an occupational therapist. I'm a certified coach. I am a mom of more than one child with ADHD, and I do have ADHD myself. So welcome to the Crash Course. We are in this together, and let's jump in. Welcome to ADHD Crash Course. Today, we're going to talk about cognitive flexibility. Cognitive flexibility is one of those executive functioning skills that we've talked about earlier, our ability to be able to see things from different angles, to adjust, to adapt. And so cognitive flexibility is a big skill, a really important skill for for humans, honestly, but this is something that shows up a lot in the world of ADHD. And um, it's kind of funny because I think as divergent thinkers, people with ADHD have a lot of flexibility in some ways. It's not hard to convince someone with ADHD that there are different ways to do things, to experience the world. In fact, we're always trying a new plan, right? Like we are, a lot of people that I know with ADHD are kind of like self-improvement junkies. And so when I was doing some research about tips for building cognitive flexibility, a lot of them for me just didn't really land. Like they were suggestions for changing your routine or doing things differently or seeking out novelty. And that's great. It certainly does build cognitive flexibility. But I think at least for me, that version of cognitive flexibility isn't that tough to, to do, right? That's something that I'm maybe naturally seeking out. And so I wanted to share some tips that I have found helpful for myself that have been helpful to my clients that might be a little bit more suited to some of us with ADHD. Maybe not. I don't know. This is me giving my opinion here. I've had to find strategies for building cognitive flexibility that are less about my everyday experiences and more about stretching my mindset. I'm going to share four tips that have been really helpful. I'm going to start with my favorite, honestly. I'm not going to save the favorite for last. Number one is repeat after me, both things can be true. Just get used to saying that phrase, say it a lot, remind yourself, remind people around you of this fact that both things can be true. And and I know I've spoken about this in other episodes, understanding that it's difficult for people, for humans to hold two seemingly opposing truths in our minds at the same time. It like creates a brain cramp. It's very hard. Get really good at letting two things that don't really seem like they belong exist together. You know, some of our ability in this area is developmental. If you look at kids programming, their good people are really good. Their bad people are really bad. There's not a lot of nuance if you're going for kind of a a cartoon aimed for little children. It's going to be very black and white. There's not going to be like a good person that loses their moral compass in a significant way and and causes untold damage. And you're not going to see a villain who, you know, is also like a, a loving family member. It's just going to be either or. When in reality, of course, life is more complicated than that. And even though this is something, yeah, okay, our youngest kids are maybe the most rigid in this way, adults aren't really doing that much better. Like take a peek at social media and in discussions, uh, quote unquote discussions that go on there. There's a lot of rigidity in how people approach each other, especially in an online world where it's a little more on the anonymous side. But honestly, even if we take a look at the next holiday dinner that you're with with family, you're likely to see some cognitive 
cognitive rigidity. One way is totally good with all of the right answers, and one way is the devil, right? This is not an uncommon dynamic because we're humans. And cognitive flexibility is so important because it lets us become problem solvers. It lets us make room for all of us, which is really helpful. Um, it's really helpful for emotional regulation, for problem solving, for relationships. You know, just being able to accept the that both things can be true in a situation, even though it may seem like they shouldn't be. You know, right now we're finishing up our fall group of Embrace Your Brain. And one of my amazing group members had a, an accident, a pretty significant accident during our time together and sustained a head injury, a concussion. And, and we were chatting and she said, you know, I am so grateful. I'm so thankful that I'm here because this was a pretty significant accident and this totally sucks. Like this has exacerbated ADHD traits I was already dealing with and it's made life so challenging. It, and both things are true. She can be thoroughly grateful that she still is here and also pretty crushed. This is what she's managing right now. You know, another example of this that I see a lot because I'm involved in some ADHD forums and spaces is whether or not ADHD is a superpower. I've done an episode about this and I don't agree with that personally. It is, I do not see it as my superpower. Most of the people I work with don't really agree with that point of view for themselves either. That being said, if I run across somebody who sees this as their superpower, I am not about to debate them on their personal experience of ADHD. I take objection when it's put on other people and it's kind of one more burden for people who are already struggling that this should be something that you reframe as roses and I, that I have a hard time with. But as far as someone's personal view, I am not going to try to take that view, change that view, win the debate about anything like that because the reality is both things are probably true. There are probably some opportunities, some possibilities, some realities that are in your life because of ADHD. And obviously there's some difficult stuff too. One doesn't have to go away for the other to be true. So number one, get skilled at saying both things are true. It's going to help you. It is a big cognitive flexibility win if you can start doing this. Number two is embrace good enough. Perfectionism is a really great example of cognitive inflexibility, and it can kind of be spun like it's a virtue. But in my experience, I see perfection consistently impeding people's progress. Yeah, there are times it can drive people to perform, but what I see more often is that it freezes the people I work with and it contributes to a lot of overwhelm. Good enough really is good enough because it lets you move forward and not get stuck. If someone comes to me and talks about motivation, one of the first things I'm going to get to in our work together, whether it's a directly us in the question or kind of weasel my way around it, is are they dealing with perfectionism? And a lot of people think they're not because they're not executing perfectionism. They are not able to get the perfect results. But that is not what I'm talking about. Perfectionism is your standard, not whether or not you can execute the standard. No one can actually execute it, right? But sometimes people with ADHD feel like they're really off the mark from their standard. And they don't even realize they have the standard because what happens when you have enough of this frustration as a perfectionist, you just kind of give up. I'm either all in or I'm out. I'm either cleaning the kitchen for an hour, top to bottom, or I'm going to sit here and scroll for 15 more minutes, 20 more minutes, 30 more minutes. That person's going to come to me and say, I had plenty of time, but I just sat here scrolling on my phone because 
whatever, whatever they believe about themselves, they're lazy, they're not motivated, but it's usually not either one of those things. It's usually this really rigid standard that they have to complete in order to do this job and you just can't get going. We see this decision-making perfectionism also. It is often gets people stuck and indecisive, unable to make a decision because at the core, they want it to be a perfect decision in lots of arenas. Like if you're trying to buy a food product and you want it to be on sale and you also want it to be low fat and you also want it to be high protein and you want it to be good for the environment and you know the list can go on and on and on where a simple purchase becomes this kind of perfectionism pause out and you can't make a decision. So learning to make a good enough decision, picking a couple areas that matter to you on a decision and kind of chunking the rest or at least deprioritizing the rest helps us be able to be more flexible and more functional. This is the truth. A lot of times good enough lets us function, lets us move on. And so good enough can be the anecdote to perfectionism and it can be a very helpful strategy for increasing cognitive flexibility. Number three is work on menus. Now I'm not talking about food menus. I'm talking about what I would consider action menus. A lot of times if I'm working with someone and there is a change that they want to make in their lives, we're going to come up with an action, something they're actually going to do that's very practical week to week. And when we do this, it really is helpful to at least talk about the possibility of what could go wrong the possibility of how they can take this action and it can look different depending on the day. You know, I was working with somebody who wanted to incorporate more spiritual practice in her life and she has young kids and a busy life and a lot of factors that she doesn't always control. And so we came up with menus of what this could look like. Yeah, like in her head, the first idea she had was this 30 minute meditation practice along with some other kind of like a light yoga practice, your ideal day of what the spiritual practice would look like for her. And that's great. Like that's one great menu option. That is like things are well, that's fantastic. This is a possibility. We also want the possibility of like what happens when you wake up with a migraine? What happens if one of your kids are sick? What happens if you're low energy? What happens if you're high energy? It doesn't have to be endless options, but we try to get like a four or so options just so our brain is being flexible. Our brain is accepting that I can accomplish this and it can look all these different ways, right? I can do this ideal spiritual practice that I have in my mind. This is the way I want to start my morning and launch into my day. But I've also prepared my brain for like, oh, this is kind of the sliding in sideways to my day version. And that's okay too. It's one option on the menu that I can pick. And a menu is just kind of like a concrete way of, of practicing that, putting that down on paper, of actually speaking about that as an option. You know, this attitude of a menu we can take to other areas of our lives. Do this in a very concrete way with some of my clients, a lot of my clients, it helps us with this cognitive flexibility, which ultimately helps us keep going versus Tuesday, something happens. I can't do it the way I envisioned. Oh, forget about it. I'll just, next week when I talk to Danae, we'll, we'll figure this out and come up with a better plan. No, that you lose the whole week by that kind of rigid approach to yourself and your life. So if we prepare for that ahead of time with some acceptable options, then that is working out your menus, creating menus. And you can really apply that to any area of your life that you want to take action. Have some variety there to allow yourself that room for a different day for life to happen. So number four tip, which I save maybe the one that's the most difficult for me for last because I didn't want to deal with it. But number four is to accept 
uncertainty. This is the worst. <laughs> this one's so hard. And I, I'm not going to lie. Nobody wants to accept uncertainty, especially not those of us who deal with anxiety. And if, if you have ADHD, you're more likely to deal with anxiety. I think that um, living with ADHD can be anxiety generating because in some ways it's kind of a diagnosis of uncertainty. If you have attention or energy or performance levels that you can't really count on, they aren't predictable. It can be anxiety provoking. So how am I going to show up here? I don't know. What, what do I do if I can't bridge the gap here? What if I miss something? You know, we're not going to get bogged down in this episode about differentiating between an anxiety diagnosis and an ADHD diagnosis and, um, and how those things coexist. We're just going to assume that if you have ADHD, you are more likely than your average bear to be dealing with some amount of anxiety. It kind of comes with the territory, whether or not you also have an anxiety diagnosis. And so when we look at anxiety and we can see that a lot of the struggle with anxiety has to do with the fact that life is just uncertain. It may be even more so with ADHD. We have to live our lives with a certain level of uncertainty. Anxiety says, if I can't handle living with this uncertainty, I need to know that if I do this, I'm not going to fail. If I do that, uh, people are going to accept me. If I choose this, my kids are going to be okay. And there's a problem in this and that we can do the right things and not get your expected result. We can't be 100% certain of most things. And so embracing uncertainty or at least learning to share space with it, to coexist with it, is probably one of the most important ways we can apply cognitive flexibility to our lives is just getting a little more comfortable with the fact that there is uncertainty no matter what we're doing, no matter what we're getting right. Is that easy? No, I hate that. I, you know, I know a lot of you probably hate that too. I don't know if I'll ever achieve the Zen in this lifetime that allows me to be like, yes, uncertainty is a fun ride. No, I, I don't like that. It is a lot easier said than done, obviously, but it is a big, important piece of cognitive flexibility that if at least it's on our radar, at least we're starting to look at things and build this and stretch it. We're moving in the right direction. So that brings me to the end of this episode on cognitive flexibility. Number one was accepting that both things can be true in any given situation. Two things that seem like they can be opposites can be hanging out together. Number two is working on perfectionism and watching for ways that perfectionism kind of pauses you out and kills your motivation. Number three, tied in really well to that, working on menus. Menus are kind of the opposite of perfectionism when we're working to create other options, other ways that we can show up the way we want to that aren't just one version. So menus is number three. And number four, my least favorite, but a really important one is accepting uncertainty, coexisting, learning to live with uncertainty. And so we can spend our energy in places that we can actually impact. And so that is the end of this episode. If you are enjoying this podcast, if it's helpful for you or people that you know, I'd like to encourage you to pick one of the menu options I'm going to give you. These are options for ways that you can help me continue to make this podcast. Menu item one, share. 
Share this with friends, with family, with educators, with people who need more information about ADHD for themselves or their family members. Number two, rate and review the podcast. This helps it get seen by more people. It makes it more visible. Number three, reach out to me. Send me a message on my website, The ADHD Clarity Coach, or on Instagram or on Facebook to give me feedback about the podcast, suggest things you'd like to see covered, anything that's going to help me continue to make it and make it relevant for the people who are listening. Thank you so much for spending time with me here today and we'll see you next time.